North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be able to kick off this series. And even this morning, as I was getting ready for church, my three, almost three-year-old son runs up to me and says, Daddy, are you preaching? And I say, yeah, son, I am preaching. Uh, what should I tell the people about Jesus? And he says, well, tell them that he lives in your tummy. Tell them he lives in your tummy. And tell them your food is in your tummy. And your, the food covers up Jesus. And so I'm supposed to let you know. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. We're working on him understanding the idea that God is in us. But uh, we're looking at the real Jesus today, and I thought it was perfect that he said that to me because we are talking this entire series about tearing away some of the misconceptions of Jesus. Like, does he really live in my tummy around food? You're probably not going to find that in Scripture anywhere, but uh, the three-year-old's understanding is there. And so we're going to look at things, sometimes our cultural lens uh, warps our view of Jesus, or our experiences cause us to misunderstand Jesus, or even just our own misunderstanding of Scripture itself uh, cause us to misunderstand it. So throughout this series, we are going to try to take a look at different parts of the real Jesus. And today, uh, before we get started, do you guys mind, you know, like, man, Pastor Archie, you're wearing a jacket. So do you guys mind if I just get a little comfortable in here? Is that okay? Is that okay today? Okay. Thank you, neighbor. Why? God bless you too, neighbor. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? I've always wanted a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Okay, I'm gonna stop right there. But, thank you for allowing me to uh, kick back and get a little bit uh, comfortable today in my Mr. Rogers neighborhood gear. Come on, where are my Mr. Rogers fans at out there? Yes. Yes, and I love it because um, Mr. Rogers, like it, not only did we grow up with Mr. Rogers, but he was the ultimate nice guy. You know what I'm saying? He was the nice. In fact, many times when I think of being Christ-like, really I think of being Mr. Rogers-like. Like maybe my Jesus is, looks a little bit more like Mr. Rogers than the real Jesus. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just could imagine Jesus uh, being here like, boy, Boy, everybody, oh, man, you just look so swell. Isn't it good to be in the presence of the Almighty Lord today, neighbor? Yes, yeah, she, she gets it. She's smiling. A smile a day keeps the devil away, you know? Like, we, we have this view that Jesus is kind of this, this laid-back neighbor, this laid-back neighbor. And uh, there was even an interesting story that I found that proves this proves, in my mind, it proves that Mr. Rogers was the ultimate nice guy. He was on set filming for Mr. Rogers, and he uh, drew, drove an old Impala for years and years. And one day, that Impala got stolen. 
And according to TV Guide, a TV Guide did a piece on him. They said that the moment that Mr. Rogers went down and made a report, newspapers and media outlets and TV stations reported Mr. Rogers' car was stolen. And 48 hours later, they say his car was, re car was returned in the exact same spot where they left it. And there was a note that said, if we'd have known it was yours, we never would have taken it. <laughs> like, wow. He is the nicest guy ever. He's the best. Like, when you're so nice that thieves return your stuff, you're doing something right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is awesome. Everybody loves him. And, and even when I look at him and I, when I think of being like Christ, I'm like, man, I want to be really nice and awesome like Mr. Rogers. But here's a little bit, here's the, the thing about it. Mr. Rogers is the kind of guy that when he shows up to your city, you're going to throw a parade for him, but he's not the kind of guy when you show up to your city, you're going to crucify him. Ooh, sharp right. <laughs> so even the thought of murdering Mr. Rogers is appalling. Even the thought of someone that was like that to be uh, beaten and bruised and murdered, like absolutely nobody, not even the worst criminals would think of doing that. The worst criminals returned his stuff and apologized to him. And so the thought of, of, of hurting Mr. Rogers is absurd to us, yet this is exactly what the world did to Jesus. So this shows me that maybe my view of uh, being Christ-like and being Mr. Rogers-like is a little bit off. And this is something that even I, I'm looking at and struggling with because personally, like I make it my goal uh, when you walk through the doors, especially like new people, I want to be the friendliest person you meet all week. Hello, neighbor. You know, like this is one of my personal goals. But, um, and I don't think that's a bad thing either. But I, I want you to see that there were times in Jesus' life, uh, times in his story. We're going to look at some of these stories and some of these instances in his life where uh, he was a little bit aggressive where he knew where he stood and what he stood for. Uh, he called expectations out, and when those weren't met, he was direct about confronting it. Like, there were times that he was kind of aggressive. But some of us uh, view our Jesus like a Mr. Rogers Jesus. You know what I mean? Uh, like, Jesus never has to be asked to use his inside voice because that's the only voice he has. You know what I mean? Or he prefers to stay in the background and avoid any kind of conflict or controversy. He's nice, he's gentle, he's safe, he's easygoing, and really quite predictable. Um, he prefers to remain the neutral neighbor. And if you need any help, he's there. But if you need some space too, that's okay, neighbor. You got it. You know, and we got to get this view that, that Jesus might look a little bit like Mr. Rogers. And so throughout this series, and today I want you to get this, that it's important for us to understand what Jesus was truly like if we are going to be like Jesus. we got to know what the true Jesus looked like because as I look around at myself and society, I think we can kind of mix the two of being Christ-like. It can be confusing with being Mr. Rogers-like. And I'm going to take this cardigan off because I'm a little warm. Uh, you should have seen me first service. First service, I was like struggling to hold a mic and sing and change into my clothes. So thankfully, Pastor Chris gets to help me out and be my prop this second service. But, uh, but I think many times we kind of confuse the idea of the two. Um, and so I think things are a little bit more different than we might realize. And can I share with you one of my uh, like weird parts of my life? 
we all have some weird parts of our life, right? Like, here's one of the weird things in my life was dating and marrying a girl who was an identical twin. It's kind of weird. Like, when you first start dating, in fact, there's a story. Uh, my wife uh, makes fun of me still to this day about this. Before I met my wife, I met her identical twin a year earlier at a camp. And I saw her, and I was like, wow, she sure looks good. <laughs> She is pretty. I'm going to go talk to her. And I went and I talked to her and struck up a conversation. And I found out she was engaged. And I was like, oh, man, there goes, you know, they're shut down. And the very next year, somebody who looked and talked and acted a lot like her showed up. And I was like, wow, there's two of them. Praise God. <laughs> you know? And so I went after the second one. And I talked to her and we hit it off. We started dating. But it's weird because there's another person that looks like her and talks like her and acts like her. And they're so similar in their mannerisms. Like they're even weird that they have the same dream sometimes. I'm like, is that even possible? I don't know. But they talk about these weird things. And uh, there's also nothing more weird when uh, they get together and they all share each other's clothes. You know what I mean? They're the same size. Hey, let me wear your clothes today. You wear my clothes. Cool. Awesome. And, like, they switch clothes. And so you walk into a room, and there's, you know, your wife standing there with your clothes. And you walk up, put your arm around. Hey, babe. And this, like, person that's not your wife gives you this, this uh, sister-in-law, like, ah, death stare. I'm not your wife. Whoa. Time out. Sorry. You know, like, it just gets a little Weird. It's a weird part of my life. But you know what would be even more weird? Would be uh, for me to say, you know what, you look like my wife and you talk like her and you act kind of like her. Uh, I mean, you guys are just weird in your similarities. So uh, you'll do. Close enough. You know? I mean, why not? Uh, but that is crazy. It's ridiculous. It's not even uh, right. Uh, but when it comes to our view of Jesus, I think sometimes we do that same thing. Like, you know what, this looks a little bit like Jesus and seems like Jesus here. And it might be a little bit off in some other places or, or a little bit different. But you know what, close enough. This Jesus will do. This Jesus is okay. I mean, I'm just going to go with, with this Jesus this time. And you know what I found out that as a husband to an identical twin? The more time I spent with Kayla, the closer I grew in my relationship with her, the more I got to know her, uh, you know, the closer that we got. I finally got to the place where I'm at now where there is no doubt about it without a question. Every single time I can tell you what's the real thing and which one is not. See, our relationship, got, it just grew. And the more that I got to know the real thing, the less likely I am to be deceived by something that's not that. Does that make sense? And so the closer we get to Jesus, maybe we're following something that's not the real Jesus, but the closer that we get to the real thing, the more we're going to be like, wow, that's the real thing. I'm not going to follow anything less than the real thing from now on. The closer, the, the stronger our relationship gets with the real thing, the less likely we are to be deceived. And so throughout this series, uh, we want you to know that the only way to become like Jesus is to discover what Jesus is really like. See, we can't build a Jesus like we build a bear that's personalized to whatever we want it to be like and our preferences and we take it home in a box like, wow, this is my bear. There's no other bear like my bear. Jesus is not that way. He, you know, but many times just like we build a bear, we try to build a Jesus to fit our lifestyle, to fit our preferences, to uh, fit our desires. And we ended up to, to just put him in kind of this spiritual box and take him with us and say, come on, Jesus, here we go. But Jesus isn't that way. 
Um, but I do think that, that we struggle with this sometimes because some of us were in here. Maybe your Jesus, Jesus is just a little bit off. Or maybe it's partly true, partly there, but partly missing in some spots. Some of us, we might be here and we believe, maybe you're here and you believe that Jesus loves everyone. But he doesn't want to use you to reach out and show that love to somebody who looks or acts or thinks differently than you. Maybe your Jesus loves your worship, but thankfully he doesn't think twice or care at all uh, about your finances. Maybe your Jesus is gracious and forgiving and super tolerant, and he'll just never do anything to offend anybody. Maybe your Jesus is just very soft-spoken, laid back, afraid of being too out there, and your Jesus would never push his beliefs on anybody else. You know, maybe your Jesus' heart breaks for the children in Africa, but doesn't think twice about the children next door. See, I think there are some times without realizing it, we can build a Jesus based on the parts of Christ that we like and kind of forget about some of the other parts that we're like, oh, I don't prefer that part of Jesus, but I like this part. So we got to be careful to not build a Jesus, myself included. And that's why I'm telling you, like, for me, a lot of times looking Christ-like, I can confuse that with looking Mr. Rogers-like. But as I begin to study and look at who the real Jesus is, it's awesome because it gives me a clearer picture of who I need to be and who I am even now. When we begin to see Jesus for who he really is, it will help us become who he has called us to be. It'll help you become who God has called you to be. See, I think as I look around in the world and in society that we live in today, there is a Jesus identity crisis, and Jesus isn't the one with the crisis. We are. We have a Jesus identity crisis. So today, I want to look at one of those characteristics, one of those attributes of Jesus that follows him throughout his entire life, his entire ministry. And I think that it's one of the characteristics that he wants us, or he wants to define us as well. And here it is, Jesus aggressively pursued God's plan. Emphasis on aggressive. Like I wanted to bring a cheerleading squad up here to have them do the B-E-A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V, like do the, a be aggressive cheer, just so you would remember. Like you would leave here like, oh yeah, I need to be aggressive with following God's plan this week. So this week, just think about it. All right, I'm, I need to be aggressive in following God's plan. But Jesus was aggressive. Aggressive in following God's plan, John 6, 38, he says, Jesus says, I came not to do my will, but I came to do the will of the one who sent me. I came to do the will of my father. I came to fulfill my father's plan. It's not me having dreams and, and, and aspire to, to fulfill those dreams. I am coming to live out the plan and will of my God and my father. See, uh, when you think Mr. Rogers, you don't think aggressive. You know, you think passive. You think laid back. You think the guy that you bump on the street and he apologizes like, whoa, whoa, I, I am so sorry. I, I did not, let me take you to lunch. You know, he's like the nice guy that's just overly apologetic and whatever. Where I think Jesus, when it comes to following the will and plan of God, he was unapologetic of where he was going. He would bump into people along the way and he wasn't like, oh man, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. He was like, no, I have a goal, I have a destination, I am living out God's plan. Man, you just got in the way. <laughs> And so there's a big difference. And I think many times as I look around at how we live our lives, how many times do we let things get in the way from what God has in store for us? How many times do we let things, our feelings, our friends, uh, something our family says, something even close to us, how many times do we let things get in the way from what God wants us to do? Some of you, you know exactly what God wants you to do. You've just been afraid to do it because fear is in the way between you and what God wants you to do. 
See, Jesus, he was so aggressive about living this out that he said, nothing and nobody will ever get in my way from living out God's plan for my life, from me doing the will of my Father. Uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to his disciples and he's telling them about how he's about to be betrayed. He's about to be crucified and murdered. And then he's going to rise again three days later. And Peter, he's one of his closest friends. Jesus had the 12 disciples right, that he lived with. But then in the 12, he had three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, one of his closest friends in the world, here's what he says. He didn't like that Jesus said he was about to die. Peter says this, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to pause. When's the last time you called one of your best friends Satan? You know what I mean? And so this next week, as you go about your week, uh, the next time a friend tries to give you good advice that's not godly advice, that's outside of scripture, just while they're giving you that good advice and they're saying, hey man, come on, just come out with the boys, man, the, it's more important to come out with us than to be with the wife and kids at home. You just like look at them in the eyes and you just, mm, Satan, uh-uh, devil, you sit on a throne of lies, Satan, you know? Just start calling them the devil and Satan and see what they do. They're not going to like it. <laughs> You know, but this is what Jesus did. Like, it's very aggressive. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus. This doesn't seem very nice in that moment, but that's pretty aggressive. And then he says this next. Jesus says, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He said, listen, Peter, you're going to have to get behind me. Because I'm fulfilling God's plan for my life. And you're trying to get me to stumble on your human concerns. Woo. He was aggressively pursuing God's plan. But I think there are times that people give us good advice that it's not godly advice. Um, I can tell you that there's been a time in my family, me and my wife, where we've had some uh, family members, you, you know, sit down with us. And when, when they found out that we tithed and we gave above that, and they literally calculated how much we've spent five years at the church. And they showed us and they put it in our face. You are crazy because this is how much money you could have in your bank right now. I'm like, man, you know what, I understand you're trying to give us some good advice, but man, we will never do that because that is not God advice. You know, it was, sure, they're trying to help, they're trying to be, give us some good advice, but that is not God advice. In fact, um, I think there's a reason why God has blessed us the way he has is because we've been faithful with what we've, we've given. And we try to explain that to them, and they're like, oh, wow, really, oh. But it's good advice, but it's not God advice. Someone who's giving you advice saying, you know what, God doesn't care how you feel, so, or, what, or God doesn't care what you do, so do whatever you feel like doing. No, that's, that's not God advice. Um, somebody might tell you, man, I don't understand why you're still going to church and what's up with this whole Jesus thing. You've got better things to do with your time. That's not God advice. And even in this moment, it appears like Peter has Jesus' back, Right? Like Peter's just being a good friend. Yet Jesus straight up calls him Satan. Like, wow, that is direct. If it was me and if it was you, if it was Mr. Rogers, you know what we would say? Like, Man, Peter, you know what, man, thank you. And I always know that you got my back. You're a good friend, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. That's what we would do. Thanks for your support. But Jesus is saying, I'm not even going to let my friendship with you keep me from aggressively pursuing God's plan. I'm not going to let anything from it. One of his best friends got in the way, and it was like Peter gave him a divine stiff arm. That is what Jesus did. Anyone ever seen football? You watch football, you know what a stiff arm is? 
If you don't, what it is is the guy is running with a football, a defender comes to try to tackle him, and he puts out his arm, and instead of the defender tackling him, he basically runs over the defender with a stiff arm or pushes him to the side and goes on and, 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 and scores. And maybe you've even seen a football player that's super aggressive. Parents, come on, have you ever seen a football player that's like super aggressive, like overly aggressive, and he's just going, and maybe he's bigger and he's faster than everyone else, and parents are booing, and coaches are like, come on, and the players are like, this isn't fair, you know what I mean? Like this is, uh, I've been there. I've actually lived this. When I was in seventh grade, I weighed a whopping 64 pounds. Man, I was, I thought I was the man. And I went out for football, and I'm just this tiny, little, scrawny kid, tiniest in my class, playing football. And there I am. I'm, I'm one of the defensive ends, a cornerback. And uh, there's, we were playing a team in Minden, and Minden had this man-child on their team. I'm telling you, seventh grade, he had a full beard, and he had armpit hair, and he, like, showed it off to everybody. Like, you ready for this? You know, like, I was scared to death of this dude. He was so big, and I'll never forget, uh, we're playing against them, and I'm like, oh, no, please don't come to my side. Please don't come to my side. And they throw him a sweep, and he comes out to my side. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Here it comes. I'm debating in my mind, do I just take a dive and act like I tried to tackle him, or do I really go in for the tackle? And my mind is like, I'm not ever going to try to just let somebody get by me, so I'm going to go in for this tackle. I got this dude, and I'm coming in. Like, here we go. I got you now, man. Watch out. And as I go in for the tackle, this kid who was just like this man, running, he doesn't just stiff arm me, he stiff arm me so hard that it feels like he punches me in the helmet. Boom! It cracked my neck and I fell to the ground. And I was just like, that was the moment for me that I knew I was done with football. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. I was angry, I was mad, I went back to the bench and I'm complaining, like, man, can you believe that jerk? You know what I mean? Here's the thing, he seems like a jerk to everybody watching, but he's just a player on the field with a goal to score a touchdown. I got in his way. He's not a jerk, I just got in his way. He, had, he brought out the stiff arm. See, Jesus had this ability. Jesus wasn't a jerk. He just wasn't gonna let anybody get in the way from his goal to live out God's plan for his life. See, I think you and I, we can learn something from this because we can be way too passive when things threaten to take us from God's plan for our life. We can be way too passive when something threatens to come between us and God's plan for our marriage and our kids and our finances and our future, and we can just sit back and be like, oh, you know what, it's, it's okay. Like, no, Jesus was aggressive. If it was his friends, stiff arm, get behind me, Satan. If it was his family, well, let's look. Let's see what an interaction with his family uh, was kind of like. And so surely Jesus wasn't aggressive with his family. Uh, well, in a few spots he was, but I'll share this one. I thought this one was kind of funny. Even as a boy, Jesus' parents uh, were traveling from, or traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. And Jesus' parents, they get a day into their travels, and they have like this home alone moment where they look at each other and they're like, where's Jesus? We left him at home. Let's go. Like they have to turn back. And they have to go all the way back home, and they find Jesus there in the temple, basically at church. And uh, here, here's the interaction where, when they find Jesus in God's house. In Luke 2, 48 through 50, uh, it says, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I think it's funny because even as a 12-year-old boy, 
Jesus kind of has this swagger about him. Like, you know how sometimes kids talk to the parents almost like we're the kid? You know what I mean? Like, maybe they call you by your first name to really drive it home. Like, listen, Mary. Hey, Mary, I, don't you realize that this is why I'm here? Don't you realize this is the whole reason that I'm on this earth right now? Like, this is, this is my will. And I, and I told you I was going to go hang with my dad, so I don't know why you're so mad. But this is what he says. He's like, do you not realize why I'm here? This is it. This is why I'm here. And in this moment, it almost feels as if Jesus kind of uh, lightly rebukes them for not recognizing his mission. Even that young. I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. Two chapters later, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had just been baptized. He fasted for 40 days and nights, and he overcame Satan's temptation. And now he goes back home. He now has a chance to start his ministry by rallying his friends and his family and his hometown behind him to send him off on this great journey. But here's kind of the story. Uh, instead, what happens, he captures everybody's attention. And they're all amazed. They're all like, wow, can you believe this is Jesus from our hometown? This is crazy. What happened to this guy? And as he kind of captures their attention, he begins to tell them, uh, like, hey, I know you guys know that we're the chosen people of God. We're the Jewish people. But let me tell you a little bit about God's plan for this world. See, God's plan is going to be to, not, to take his love and forgiveness and grace, not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles and to the entire world as well. And these people were like, What? Are you telling, no, that is not right. And then he begins to tell him, in fact, you know what, just like in the days of Elijah when um, the people turned from God and didn't accept Elijah as a prophet, many of you, you're not going to accept me uh, as a prophet or you're not going to accept me and my mission and what I'm called to do. And that's okay because I'm just going to go and I'm going to take this message of forgiveness and grace to the world. And they were furious. In fact, you got to imagine, these are the people kind of most inclined to love Jesus, to support Jesus. And now they're at a moment, and, and here in Luke 4, 28 and 29, here's what happens next. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove Jesus out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off of a cliff. They try to kill Jesus. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> he basically said, it's not my time yet. I still got a plan to live out. You guys can do what you want. It is not my time. But I look at this and I think, Jesus, why didn't you just stop? If it was you and if it was me, you know what we would do? We would get up and we would give this, this speech and we would rally and we'd say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to just thank my mom. Mom, you're the real MVP. You're the real MVP, mom and dad. And I'd like to thank my friends growing up. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for you. I'd like to thank uh, Mrs. Manning, my third grade teacher, um, you know, like we would give this thank you speech and we would say, I'm going where I'm going because of you. But he gets up there and he lays out, uh, like, hey, guys, listen, this is where, what God's plan is for this world. And I know some of you aren't going to like it, but this is God's plan. And so this is my plan. And so I'm going to do this. And they're like, we do not like it. But that didn't stop Jesus from living out God's plan. He's letting it be known that even family, friends, social expectations won't keep him from God's plan. Stiff arm. <laughs> that divine stiff arm comes out. He's direct, he's honest, and not only is Jesus right, he's righteous in it all. He's not being a jerk. Um, he, he's, saying, he, he's just saying, listen, I, I got a goal. My goal is not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. And um, you're, just, you're just in the way. 
I'm sorry, but, but God has a plan for this world, and whether you like it or whether you don't like it, I'm going to live that plan out. And that now you can begin to understand, okay, I begin to see a little bit why um, maybe some people didn't like Jesus as much, why they didn't throw him a parade when he showed up and, and, and things like that. <clears throat> Here's what I begin to realize when I begin searching and looking at the real Jesus and some of these divine stiff arms that he's given out. Jesus is more concerned about being righteous than being nice. He's more concerned about being righteous than being nice. Scripture calls Jesus a lot of different things. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, the Almighty One, the light of the world, the deliverer. He's our hope. He's our healer. The Lion of the tribe of, of Judah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, the Mighty One. He's the great I Am. Many, many more attributes and names that they, that they give to God and to Jesus. But you know what one thing, one descripting factor of Jesus that's not there? He's a nice guy. Jesus, the nice one. Like, no. You're not going to find that anywhere. In fact, being nice isn't a fruit of the Spirit. And some of y'all are like, I don't like where this is going. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. I think there's even a difference between nice and being kind. Uh, when I get ready in the morning and I'm putting on a shirt and, and I ask my wife, hey, babe, how do I look today? If she was nice, she would tell me what I want to hear. She'd be like, oh, RJ, your sense of style is so above my head. It is so far beyond me. Man, you are rocking, smoking awesome. I'd be like, thank you, babe. You know, like, she would be nice by telling me what I want to hear, but if she was kind, she would tell me what I need to hear. She'd say, babe, you know, I love you, and uh, I know how you think, and I know how you act, and I'm just going to tell you um, that shirt kind of makes your tummy stick out a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. Why are you telling me that? I'm going to suck it in all day long, you know? Like, but in her kindness, she tells me not necessarily what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. I wonder if sometimes for the sake of being kind, we miss out on God's plan. Jesus was aggressively pursuing that plan. Us, sometimes, I wonder if for the sake of kindness, we miss out on that plan. In fact, uh, I think I've heard these, I, people that have said, I wanted to be nice. So even though I know that they need Jesus, I don't want to shove it down their throats. And uh, maybe by the, my actions and how I live, they'll see Jesus. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. By how you live, they should see Jesus. But do you realize if, if you feel like God is putting on your heart to reach that person and you know that they need Jesus, the Bible also says, how will they hear if no one tells them? Well, I, I don't want to offend them. Instead, so instead of uh, living out my faith and, you know, uh, throughout school or work or whatever, um, I'm just going to live out my faith on the weekends, on Sunday. Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings and make them think that I was better than them or that I'm on some different level than they are. So I just went out with them and, and did what they did. I know I probably shouldn't have and I know it wasn't right. But I just wanted them to know that I'm, I'm not any better than they are. Can I tell you, each one of those things that I just listed off are things that I've sat across a table from people and they've told me uh, straight to my face. Basically, I know what God wanted me to do, but I didn't because uh, I was just wanting to be nice. Or I, I know I probably wasn't supposed to do that, but I did it anyways just to be nice. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying today, I'm not giving you a license to go and be a jerk for Jesus whatsoever. The world is going to know we're Christians by our love. And Jesus, his overwhelming grace and love for people far from God, I mean, is just 
unbelievable. And throughout this series, we'll, we'll take a look at that. But uh, at the same time, I think that we can be a little passive about pursuing God's plan. When I look at Jesus' life, and he was extremely aggressive about pursuing God's plan and said, no one or nothing is going to come between me and your plan for me. And today I want us to catch that attitude, God, I'm pursuing you. God, I'm choosing you. I'm not going to let TV get in the way. Lord, I'm not going to let social media come between me and spending time with you like I know you want me to. Lord, I'm not going to let laziness get in the way or pride get in the way. Lord, I'm not even going to let a relationship with a person get in the way from your plan for me. I'm not going to let money get in the way. Lord, the moment something comes between you and me, help me to deal with it quickly and directly. Help me to learn the divine stiff arm. I remember, uh, you know, I, I was a youth pastor for about 10 years, and I'll never forget a time when I had to sit down with one of my, my youth leaders and remove that youth leader from leadership. Uh, they were living in a way uh, that wasn't right, <clears throat> and they were causing students around them to do things that I know was far outside of God's plan and will for their life. And they were just making, it, it was just a horrible headache, and um, it was bad. And so I sat them down, and I had to tell them why I was removing them. And I said, I love you. We still want you at the church. Uh, man, I'll even meet with you, and, and we'll move forward. But you can't talk to these students. You, can't, you can't, can't have influence like you once had. And they did not like it. In fact, they got mad. They started calling me names. Um, they started saying things like, you know, Jesus forgave me, yet you can't and the church can't. I don't get it. What, why, when God forgives me, why can't you forgive me? And you're just judging me and you're condemning me. And they said all these things, RJ, you are not being very Christ-like. I'm like, man, you, you knew the expectations that we expected out of you. And it's like, no, you're not being very, and like he just was upset. And part of me in this moment, I still remember feeling it as he's telling me all these things. I'm like, man, you know, part of me wants to forgive this guy. Pat him on the back and say, you know what? Let's try it again. You know, all is forgiven. Uh, let's just hope that you don't burn these students and hope that you don't burn the church again. But I couldn't. And so instead, here's what I did. I opened up the Bible and I said, you know what, let me just read a passage for you. Um, there's a passage here that says, it's better, um, it's better for a person to tie a millstone around their neck and jump into the sea than it is for them to cause a young person to stumble. And they didn't like me <laughs> reading that passage to them. They're like, I don't like you even more. That was not very Christ-like, you know. And, but I knew in this moment I would not knowingly be the one responsible to put a student in harm's way. I had a moment where, like, I was struggling because the nice part of me wanted to just wipe it and say, you know what, it's okay. Let's, let's just forget about it and don't do it again. And hopefully, you know, th something doesn't blow up later. But there was a more part of me that said that you are taking students away from God's plan for their life. And if you are coming between God's plan for, for where he wants them to go and where he wants them to be, and I have the power to do so, I am going to give that divine stiff arm. And, man, you got to go. You are taking them away. And... and I would say if you're following a Jesus that's more concerned with being nice than being righteous, you might be following a fake. Because Jesus, he was aggressive in his pursuit of God's plan. Maybe there are even some things in your own life, as you're looking at your life, that have come between you and what God wants you to do, God's plan for you. We need to learn the art of the divine stiff arm. Um, there's one more story I want to share in Mark chapter 3. Uh, Jesus is it's on the Sabbath day, and Jesus is in the temple. There are The Pharisees are there, and these are the religious leaders of the day, the church leaders of the day. And basically, they set up something. They're trying to set Jesus up. 
They're trying to say, listen, this guy is crippled, and we know Jesus is a healer, so let's bring this crippled guy in front of Jesus on the Sabbath day and see if he heals somebody on the Sabbath day. Because in their laws and customs, to heal someone on the Sabbath day would be to break the Sabbath law of God. Like it was a huge deal for them. And so uh, Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows their intentions. Jesus knows exactly what they're up to. And he speaks directly to it. And I love how this story plays out. And so then Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And then this next verse is funny to me, verse 5. And he looked around at them in anger. He didn't look upon them with grace. He didn't come to them with gentleness in that moment. He didn't say, you know, when we read this story, sometimes we skip that verse and we think, um, Jesus just said, you know what, guys? What's it better to heal or to kill today? Uh, what are we going to do? Like, this is what I imagine. I just imagine his words are so soft and they just have such a powerful impact in the heart that he doesn't even. But yet I read scripture and it says, like, he knows what these guys are doing. He knows what they're trying, trying to do and set, how they're trying to, he's, to set Jesus up. And he gives them the angry look. Choose. I, you know what? In fact, speak up. I dare you. What's it better for someone to kill, be killed today or someone to be healed today? Which would you choose? Say something. Like he's looking around them like, have you ever seen that angry look? You know that if you talk to someone with that angry look, something bad is about to go down. Parents, we try to perfect the angry look in our rearview mirror when we're looking at our kids when they're messing up in the back seat. Like, hey, look at me right, right here in the mirror. You know, and we try to give them the angry look so hopefully they stop doing it. Jesus gives them the angry look. And they were dead silent. They were dead silent. And what goes on, it goes on and it says, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with Her the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Here's what's crazy to me about this story is <clears throat> it was on the Sabbath day. You know what Jesus could have done? He could have waited a few hours. He could have waited a few hours, the Sabbath would have officially been over, and he could have healed the man then, and uh, the, the people wouldn't have been mad, uh, he wouldn't have done anything on the Sabbath, and the guy would have been healed. In leadership, you know what we call that? We call that a win-win-win situation. As a leader, like, yes, I strive for the win-win every time, yet Jesus deliberately does it at that moment. I'm like, why? There's got to be some reason Why? See, he knew God's plan isn't to be put in a box to where people can say, you know what, God can heal on these other days, but God better not move on this day. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> let me tell you God's plan because it's my plan. I want to be able to heal people when I want to heal people. You're not going to put a limit on when God can move. You're not going to put a boundary around who God can reach. You're not going to say, God, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath because I'm God and I want to move in this man's life today. And so what's it better, to kill someone today or to heal someone today? Even a religious or social order that hinders the move of God was deplorable to Christ. So he initiates the controversy. He destabilizes the situation because he said your customs are keeping people from experiencing a move of God. And I'm just going to let you know, your custom's got to go. The people didn't like it. 
But do you see how aggressive Jesus was in the pursuit of God's plan? Anything gets in my way. Friends, stiff arm. Family, stiff arm. Social expectations, stiff arm. Uh, Religious rules, stiff arm. Nothing will keep me from living out the will of the one who sent me. There was even a time when his own feelings had to get stiff-armed. There was a time before he, he was betrayed and before he was crucified. Uh, that, that night he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying. He was praying so hard he was sweating blood. And he said, God, I've not let anybody come between you or me and, and, and your plan that you have for me. I've not let friends or family or the Pharisees or social expectations. Nothing has come between me and the plan that you have in store for me. But God, I don't really feel like going through with this. God, I don't really feel comfortable with going on a cross and dying like that. So, Lord, here was his prayer in Luke 22, 42. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet, there it is. I want your will to be done, not mine. Yet your will be done, not mine. Just like in John 6, 38, when he says, I came to do not my will, but the will of my Father. And man, he aggressively pursued that will. Nothing, nobody, not even his own feelings, his own emotions could stop him from pursuing and living out God's plan for his life. So today I wanna challenge you to don't let anything stop you. Don't let comfort stop you. Don't let friends or family or social expectations or man-made religious rules stop you. Don't let fear stop you. Uh, Don't even let your feelings stop you. When you feel like quitting and you feel like giving up and you feel like, what's the point? Nobody cares. Don't even let that stop you. You We gotta learn to aggressively pursue God's plan and say, God, even when I don't feel it, Lord, I'm gonna choose it and I'm gonna chase after you right now. Because I want each one of you to know God has a plan for you in your life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, he's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your marriage. He's got a plan for your finances, for your job. He's got a plan for that sickness. He's got a plan for your body. He's got a plan. And today's message isn't necessarily about finding that plan, but it's about getting a tenacity inside of your hearts that said, God, when I find out that plan, I won't let anyone or anything come between me and seeing that lived out in my life. And I know understanding God's plan is hard for our lives, and I think even this uh, uh, misconception of Jesus begins the moment we invite Jesus into our life. Even the words, uh, we accept Jesus. I say it, pastors say it, we all talk about it, but yeah, I've accepted Jesus into my life. Even the words, even it has a connotation that where I've accepted Jesus, Jesus has been allowed to enter my world. Jesus is now on my schedule. Jesus is now on my calendar. I've asked Jesus to pull up a seat to my table, right? I want you to know Jesus isn't some kid on the playground with his hand up, desperately trying not to get picked last. He's not some guy in the corner at the middle school dance just waiting for someone to come invite him out on the dance floor. Jesus isn't some puppy dog giving you the puppy dog eyes and doing tricks and barking just so you choose him and take him home with you. Here's the point. Jesus is, Jesus is not in need of being accepted. You and I are. Jesus isn't the one in need of being accepted. You and I are. We need him way more than he needs us. 
And so it comes with this view of, yeah, I've accepted Jesus into my life. And so now that I got you, Jesus, here's my plans. Here's my goals. Here's my future. I'm going to need you to bless me and help me and lead me to get to the plan that I want. Where Jesus said, no, listen, you got this backwards. Listen, when you accepted me into your life, that was more me accepting you for who you are. We're sinners. We're, 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 we've messed up. We've made mistakes. And even in the middle of our mess, he looks at us and says, man, I accept you. I have chosen you. You are mine. You are my child. And I got a plan for you. And my plan for you is better than your plan for yourself. So you need to follow me. But many times we settle and we, when this happens, we accept it in our life and we say, God, here's my plans. Will you follow me and help me get there? And Jesus is saying, no, listen, I'm the one who accepted you first of all. And second of all, I have a plan for your life, and I want you to follow me to get there. So are you asking Jesus to follow you, or are you saying, Jesus, I will be the one to follow you? There's a huge difference. The only way to become like Jesus is to know what Jesus was really like, and Jesus aggressively pursued God's plan. Can you stand your feet with me today all across the place? Some of us are in this place today and we've allowed some things come between us and God's plan for us. We've just allowed some things to slip in. Maybe you're here and something that somebody said to you that you thought was good advice wasn't God advice and it's been keeping you from something that God has in store for you. Maybe you're here and you've had a bad experience with the church in the past where you felt judged and condemned and it leaves you wanting to give up on church and God altogether. Uh, man, it's time for a divine stiff arm and say, man, I may feel those things, but God, I know that your plan is different for my life. Maybe your family relationships are so bad that even the thought of making time for Jesus and for God stresses you out. Time for a divine stiff arm. Maybe your kid's schedule and your job and, and just your all-around schedule is so time-consuming and so stretched from A to Z that it leaves no time to even think or spend any time with God. It's time for a divine stiff arm. Maybe it's sin that's coming between you and God. Today is time for a divine stiff arm to say, God, don't even let my sin, don't even let my feelings. Some of you, it's mind games that you're playing in your head right now. Oh, and you're, you're, you're condemning yourself and you have a hard time forgiving yourself and moving forward. And it's time to stiff arm those feelings and say, God, I'm going to live by your word and your plan for my life. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com. Thank you.